Life's a Mystery Who Done It. Welcome to Ye Gods, I'm Scott Carter. Today's episode concludes my talk with author and Emmy nominated actor Rain Wilson, best known for playing Dwight on nine seasons of the seminal workplace comedy The Office. We will explore his new travel series, Rain Wilson and the Geography of Bliss, now streaming on Peacock. And we'll talk about life and death, and you'll hear more of his Baha'i faith and also his new book, Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. Enjoy. You talk about how at one point in America, people wanted, were <laughs> comfortable talking about death but not sex. Now people are very comfortable talking about sex but not death. Do you think that we would be leading happier lives if we dealt with more on a daily basis uh, the notion of death and the sense of our own impermanence? I do 100%. And um, Arthur Brooks, uh, he wrote about it in his weekly column for The Atlantic about uh, what we can learn from death. Yeah. So our culture is obsessed with sex, everything with sex, like sexual attractiveness, porn, sexual identity, gender identity, anything having to do with sex and the sex impulse were just gaga over. And humans used to talk about death a lot. It's in every faith tradition and philosophical tradition as well. The Stoics were especially good at it. And we don't talk about death. It's, it's, an, it's a no-no. It's a downer. It's a, to be avoided. So I'm going to, can I get a little deep here? Yes. Permission to go a little deep? Okay, so. Permission granted. If we're not talking about death, then we're not talking about the purpose of life. And we're not talking about the pain of death and the grief of death, then we're not having a cultural conversation about suffering itself. And what is the nature of suffering? The Buddha taught, I teach one thing and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. That's the first of the four noble truths. Truths is that life is suffering, right? So. We're not talking about why we suffer, why there is pain, why there is disappointment, why innocent people get cancer, why good people get hit by a truck, and why at the end of it, we just die. You know, like as they said in the 70s on the bumper sticker, life sucks and then you die. But we're not having that cultural conversation. We're, for our young people, we're trying to stop them from suffering. We're trying to like, have trigger warnings on everything. Oh no, this might make someone feel uncomfortable. We've got to take away anything that makes someone feel uncomfortable. But we're not talking about the purpose of suffering. We suffer, Scott, to grow our souls. We know this. Scott, the suffering that you had as an asthmatic kid allowed you to be a brilliant television producer. You know, on the, the anvil of pain, we grow character and we grow our souls and we gain wisdom. So this mental health epidemic that is eating away at young people and, and, and causing tremendous amounts of suicides, this loneliness epidemic that the attorney general has been talking about, it's be one of the reasons, there's more to it than this, there's social media and there's materialism, there's all kinds of, there's the collapse of community and, disunity in the you know political system and online, et cetera. There's a lot of different reasons, but one of them is that we don't talk about death and therefore we don't talk about suffering and therefore 
young people don't have resilience because resilience is a manifestation of understanding the purpose of suffering. So we're not teaching our kids to be resilient, to say, hey, you're going to have setbacks, disappointments. People are going to piss you off. They're going to disagree with you. You're going to get frustrated. Life is going to be a, a lot of struggle. And why do we struggle? Why is there a struggle on this plane? Why in this cacophonous universe is there so much struggle? And it's, you know, it's because it's the point. It's the point of it. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of people avoid death thinking that if they avoid it, it will never come. But it's like mm. Hamlet, a character you've played, death will come when, when it will come. And I would rewrite the life sucks and then you die to life challenges us and then we graduate. I love it. I love it. M might we now explore for a little bit geography of bliss? Yes, please. Okay. So one of the many things that amazed me about geography of bliss and my wife and I together enjoyed all of the episodes is how you find optimistic people in very grim places. I mean, you go to some happy places like Iceland at the beginning, and I, I get, I see the smiles, and I and I understand prosperity, and I understand the embracing of community in these places and the sense of freedom. But you also travel to Ghana, you travel to Bulgaria, you travel to places that are that have been very challenged by political upheaval, by the existence of poverty, by the lack of freedom, often especially of women. But you're displaying this incredible curiosity and appreciation for all people that then I, I feel like you instinctively go and find some people who are very happy in tough situations. Yeah. We went to Bulgaria, which is one of the unhappiest places on earth. And we just wanted to explore how do you find bliss in a place like Bulgaria? We wanted to learn from some places that did happiness, well-being, bliss, and joy very well, like Iceland. Thailand does a pretty good job at it as well. But we also wanted to go to some more challenging places like Ghana and Bulgaria. And it's interesting in Bulgaria because they have centuries of being oppressed, first by the Turks, and you know you can go all the way back to the Romans, and then the Turks, and then the Germans, and then the Soviets. And so there are no outward manifestations of, of joy or bliss there. People are very sour and shut down and dour. But we found just exceptional people, you know, people rise up like flowers through a crack in the sidewalk, um, finding great joy and bliss in their, in their families and um, in small communities. They don't show it publicly and express it publicly, but behind closed doors they do. And the people of Ghana, you know, there's a large percentage of them living below the poverty line and uh, just subsistence farming and a lot of poverty in the in the big cities as well. There's a great deal of optimism there for the future and they really do feel like they're they're on their way towards something that is was incredibly refreshing to see and to experience. They also seem in Ghana generous towards the incompetence of their government. They they seem to accept it the way that one accepts a member of one's family who maybe is not <laughs> living up to one's potential. And I love uh, that phrase, joyful resistance, that, mm -hmm. that really resonated for you. And I also 
was so impressed by the the group of the, the call themselves the drama queens and how they meet in different places because what they're doing might get them punished mm. and mm. and i was interested by the late night drama queens and also the thai elephant you it, mm. there's an, there's an incredible scene that i hope you all watch of rain in a river that is muddy with shit and it's these loving people washing these giant animals. And it is so, it, it feels like it's something that occurs in, in something that's animated, but not real life, but it is real life. And when you then report on this in your hotel room afterwards, there is a seraphic, there is a joyousness in your eyes, almost like you were, I don't know, 10 years younger or five years younger by how joyous that day's activities were for you. Yeah. Well, you bring up so much there. So the drama queens are an LGBTQ kind of drama club that try and tackle social issues through drama and improv and sketches and comedy. And it's dangerous to be LGBTQ. It's essentially illegal. And you can get you know locked up for talking about being gay and expressing your sexuality in some way. So they have to rent secret Airbnbs to play theater games. And they have a guard, they hire a guard. And you know, if the cops come, they're they're fucked. They could all get locked up. And uh and there have been arrests made in this world. So seeing that what people are willing to go through and suffer just to to play together and try and tell stories together was colossally moving, profoundly moving. That was one of the most moving segments of, of the five episodes by far. We take it for granted here, all of the kids in their improv groups and theater groups. And, and yeah, the elephants, you know, listen, we try and learn about happiness, joy, and well-being on the road and then bring that home to share with people, right? We, you don't have to go somewhere else to be happy. It's about what can we learn from other cultures and apply to our lives. However, we could use more elephants. And I don't know if that's a possibility, bringing elephants over to the United States. They're in zoos. But if there were elephants on every cul-de-sac and you had to wash and bathe elephants every day, I really think we could have world peace. Um, they're so magnificent ancient, wise, powerful, gentle, perceptive. I did, I felt, I mean, I felt like I was 10 years old playing, playing and washing with those elephants. They were, it was so beautiful. Personally for me, just maybe the most joyous part of the whole, of the whole trip. What has stayed with you from that time? You know, the thing that stuck, stuck with me is really quite simple you know there's there's so many there's blogs about happiness there's podcasts about happiness there's articles there's books there's you know there's a dozen books every year about happiness increasing well-being finding joy finding meaning there's all of these wonderful statistics and things you can do cold immersion therapy cold plunges and meditations and gratitude lists and and those are all really important and I'm not poo-pooing them but gosh when it gets right down to it for me, the most profound experiences I had were just witnessing community. Humans thrive in communion with each other, in connection, in consultation, 
in cooperation, all of those delicious, delightful C words, community cooperation, consultation. And it's no, it's no big mystery. It's like find people, serve people, connect with people, hug people, love together, serve together, play together, meditate together, take hikes together, be in nature, whatever it is, it's like that's how we thrive. And so, you know, did I take away like anything that I've applied in my life? I would say I've leaned further into community as a, as a foundation for well-being. You make reference, I think, both in Soul Boom and in Geography of Bliss to the Harvard study that goes back 80 mm. years now and the book yeah, about the it came study. out mm -hmm. in January. But before it came out, and one of the original people was John F. Kennedy, um, who was in the study. Mm. Before the book came out, the New York Times did a week of little excerpts from it. And mm. there's one thing from it that I still do to this, that I do to this day, not that it's been that this long, it was January. But they say, they talk about the magic of eight minute phone calls. That very often I avoid getting back in touch with someone because we haven't talked in so long. We need like a couple of hours to get caught up. I now have with friends, and I called the bunch during uh, January and just said, okay, look, if you get a text from me that's just the, the numeral eight plus a question mark, I'm asking you, ah. do you have a window? During the day, everybody's got a window of eight minutes. They don't have a, a window for a long phone call. We're busy people. But anyway, so I now have about five or six people, in, including one of my daughters who's still who's in college. And I'll just do eight question mark. And then I'll get a time back, two to three o'clock. And I'll call during that window. We'll have eight. And then when we reach yeah. eight, I will say, you have now matched your social obligation I will keep listening mm. if you wish to keep talking, but just know that you can conclude this call at any time. And it's been one of the great things in my life. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. I need to look at that and and look at that book. There have been several books about it, but I think this one was the big kind of- It was by the people who, who run it, this, this last right. one, the one that came out in January. I think it's called The Good Life, I, I believe. Yeah. Are, are there going to be more? You make some references in the LA episode that there might be more- there might be a second season, perhaps, of Geography of, of Bliss. Where would you most like to go? We're hoping for a second season. We need to get people to watch the friggin' show. It's on Peacock. I'm not sure if people go to Peacock for their we, television. My wife needs. and I subscribed in order to watch this. That was oh, that was our nice. level of Thank commitment. You. Yeah, it's I think it's terrific. And it also never hits people over the head with, now I'm going to start lecturing. Now I'm going to get on my soapbox. Here's where I'd like to go in the second season. We were supposed to go to Japan and we didn't get to. There's lots of great stories in Japan around finding bliss because they have such a rich spiritual tradition, you know, in Zen, in Shintoism, in Buddhism. And then you have this kind of modern Japan with this kind of being married to the company and working 70 hour weeks. And then there's like people getting married to AI, you know, and there's incredible stories about it. There's forest bathing. It's a beautiful concept of forest bathing in Japan where you're really depressed or suicidal and you just get naked and roll around in the forest. And it has incredible physiological and psychological impact. So that's one place I'd like to go. Bhutan, 
is a place we really wanted to go, but if we couldn't get in there because they, they can be difficult to go shoot in, then Nepal, there's a lot to be learned in the Tibetan Buddhist traditions around happiness and well-being. And there's actually, the producers were really championing um, Colombia, South America, which has some, you know, was at the nadir in the, in the 90s, but really in the last 20 years in so many ways have, has come back as a culture. And there's lots of different cultures in Colombia, but there's a lot of great stories there. I, those are some of the places that I'm interested in. I'm so grateful for this conversation. And I'm so grateful for, this is a perfect closure experience for the amount of time that I've been listening to you on audiobooks and watching programs and uh, listening to podcasts. This all to conclude in this way, this has been absolutely joyous for me. Here are the final questions. Is there a favorite quote that you have that you often remind yourself of in times of stress? Père Teilhard de Chardin, a Jesuit priest, famously said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And I often do think about that actually in times of hardship, because when I can remind myself that I am a spiritual being and I'm riding around in this ridiculous meat suit for 90 years, then that puts things into a much needed perspective for me. The older I get, my meat suit is now, um, the fabrication of my meat suit is now crepe. <laughs> Uh, I would like to ask the question that you and Reza ask each of the Metaphysical Milkshake guests. What's one eye-opening experience that everyone should have? Well, that's great. And I, and I do, again, sorry, sorry, listeners. I do address this in my book, but I truly believe this. A, a tour of Jerusalem with a guide was an absolutely eye-opening experience for me. And it has changed how I view Christianity, Judaism, and a little bit Islam. It's when you realize that the Temple Mount, where these holy sites are for these world religions, are all in the distance of like a couple of football fields. And there's the Mount of Olives where Jesus walked, and there's where he was tormented, and there's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and that's where he was crucified, and here's where he was had this conversation, and uh, and it's also small. Here's the Wailing Wall. Here's the temple, the first temple, the second temple. There's so much history and beauty and dysfunction in a, such a small area. It The reverberations are just magnificent. But go with an experienced guide who can really is willing to kind of take a couple days to just dive into all the nooks and crannies of uh, the religious history of that area. Rain Wilson, this has been such a pleasure. Oh my goodness. And I feel like you're going to keep doing projects like this that are going to keep wanting me to ask you back so that we continue, can continue Let's our continue. conversation. You have one of the greatest names of a podcast of all time. And I was so excited to hear that you wanted me on the pod and, and I remember your brilliant mind and I love these explorations that you're having. Anytime, anytime you need me, it's been a, just an honor and a privilege. I love having these conversations. Thank you so much for having me. And now for my sermonette in my homily opinion. 
In his new book, Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution Reign, Wilson writes, I shudder at the thought of being any kind of actor guru, dispersing wisdom in a caftan from my Instagram feed alongside jokes about farts and robots and dachshunds. I mean, I can barely get through the average day without some mini-anxiety attack of crisis of self-doubt. Plus, I'm too weird and deeply flawed. What Rain sees as disqualifying weirdness or flaws is precisely what makes him, in my homily opinion, a compelling searcher. He bluntly chronicles a dysfunctional upbringing and his battles with alcohol, drug addiction, and depression. Our compassion for his struggles is rewarded at his triumph of creating a loving adult home, not an unemotional replica of his boyhood, and paying forward his joy of watching TV workplace families of Bob Newhart or Mary Tyler Moore or Star Trek by joining that pantheon of shows that delight millions in perpetuity with The Office. By showing the worst we may infer about him, Rain Wilson's hard-won truths hit home alongside jokes about farts and robots and dachshunds, though I do wish he'd lose the caftan. Writes Wilson, Although soul boom the religion will never exist, there are some universal foundational truths that religion addresses and that humanity is longing for. Purpose, community, devotion, transcendence, and service. Amen, Reverend Rain. That's it for this edition of Ye Gods. You can email us at yegodspodcast at gmail.com. You can review Ye Gods on Apple Podcasts. Live long and prosper. I'm Scott Carter.